0: First service after I dismissed the children, I said the unruly adults can go, and Pastor Mike left. Nice try, Pastor Mike. Well, bless the Lord this morning. I want to thank uh, each person that came and shared the word from this pulpit while I was on mandatory recover. <laughs> I so enjoyed, I enjoyed listening to all the messages, especially on Wednesday night, some of our people preach, Jay Hutchings and Gucci and Julius, just powerful stuff. I'm thankful for all the support and all the love and uh, God bless you. I've been ministering for almost 30 years, I think in September it's going to be 30 and I've never taken a sabbatical or a break so I guess I had to have a heart attack to do that but... (laughs) I, I appreciate uh, all the support, and boy, I'll tell you, it's it's been good. Pastor Frank last week, and seeing God uh, touch people and heal people. Share your testimonies, amen. Don't don't let the Lord do some awesome things and then sit on it. You know, we we gotta share, amen. So uh, get your Bibles out this morning. We are in Revelation chapter three. Uh, was doing a series on repentance and. Uh, Got up to part seven here, so we're going to do part seven of repentance today. I'm going to read from Revelation 3 in just a minute. Realize Jesus in the book of Revelation speaks to the seven churches, and out of the seven churches, he tells five of them to repent. We learn that repentance is not just something we do when we're lost and we come to Christ and we say, sorry for all the sins, Lord. No, repentance is part of our daily walk as Christians, and uh, I ask this question a lot of times, but how many people have had a sinless week this week? Thank God. Oh, I think there's a couple hands going on. <laughs> no, none of us have. Amen. We're, we're all imperfect. We're all broken. We all mess up. And some of us did have attitudes. Don't raise your hands. Not the altar call. But I mean, and God's working those things out of us. Amen. And so repentance is part of our Christian experience. And I'm going to read Revelation chapter 3 in just a minute where Jesus speaks to the church of Laodicea and he calls them to repent. But let's remember the text that was kind of the the central focus of this sermon series. It was Acts 3, 19. Listen, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out and so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. How many people could use some refreshing in their life? Amen. Amen. Well, it comes from the presence of the Lord, but it also comes through the mechanism of repentance. It says, repent and be converted. And that's a clue to what repentance means. If you look at the Greek word, repentance has to do with a a turnaround, a change of mind from one way of thinking to another. How many can say, since you came to Christ and gave your life to Jesus, your thinking has completely changed? Amen. (laughs) Say amen. I know their hand's going up, but people can't see all the hands. And uh, so therefore be converted and that's our hope this morning that the way we think and feel and act would change and that's a work of the Holy Spirit so verse 17 of uh, chapter 3 in the book of uh, Revelation I'm going to read 3 through 22 for context sake we're going to unpack these other verses but 17 is where we're going to land this morning Because you say, Jesus speaking, talking to Laodicea, because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me "'Gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, "'and white garments, that you may be clothed, "'that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, "'and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. "'As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. "'Therefore, be zealous and repent. "'Behold, I stand at the door and knock. "'If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, "'I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me.' To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on the throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So there's what Jesus says to Laodicea, verse 17, one more time, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Some powerful words from Jesus. You know, as you read the scripture, you gotta, you're confronted with the fact that Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't sugarcoat things. And you know what? We should be mature enough as Christians to appreciate that. Have you ever talked to people that you knew were just telling you what you wanted to hear? Two people, praise God. Have you ever been talking to people that you just knew weren't telling you the truth? Amen. And like, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's hard to hear the truth, but I appreciate those people in my life that love me enough to take the risk to tell me the truth. Amen. Now, second service, you're going to have to be a whole lot louder this morning because I haven't preached in five weeks, and I don't want to hurt myself trying to get you going. So... Jesus speaks to the church here in verse 17. Uh, He starts off, because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy. So he launches right into there and he brings a a correction to them. As with most of the churches in the book of Revelation that were faced with a stern rebuke from the Lord, Jesus speaks to them and there's a major discrepancy between Jesus' view of those in Laodicea and how they viewed themselves. How many can admit that usually we, we put ourselves in the best light? We try to present, you know, if you've got a good side, that's the side for the pictures. You know, on Facebook, you don't put the picture that, you know, you have a double chin or that, you know, your <laughs> belly's hanging over. No, you even if you've got to Photoshop it, I mean, you're, we present ourselves in the best light possible, and here's Laodicea. They think, you know, they think they're all that in a bag of potato chips. And guess what? Jesus is like, uh, Newsflash, you guys are spiritually a, a hot mess. But most of the churches, you know, they didn't see it coming and Leo to see it even more than the others. They thought, you know, something about themselves and there is this discrepancy between what Jesus said and what they thought. And, you know, it was more than just a matter of perception or a difference of opinion. You know, many times people have a wrong view of something, they say, Well, I just have a different opinion. Yep. Like you're entitled to your opinion, but you're not entitled to alternate truth or different facts. Jesus is saying something here And they couldn't say Well that's nice Jesus We don't agree no, when Jesus gives you correction, uh, the wise soul says, ouch and amen, and makes adjustments. Amen? So here's this discrepancy. It wasn't just a difference of opinion. It wasn't an alternate viewpoint. It was an absolute clash between fiction and reality. The, the view that Laodicea had of themselves was fictitious, but the judgment that Jesus gave to them was a dose of reality. How, can, how many people can agree sometimes reality hits you in the face like a bucket of ice water? And, and, and it's hard to handle reality sometimes. Can, can anyone say that, you know, sometimes, you know, reality is the last thing we want to hear? Yeah. Just tell me what I want to hear. Tell me something good. Find something that, nice to say, you know. I mean, even Thumper and Bambi said, if you don't have nothing nice to say, don't say nothing at all. And so... That's not in the Bible, by the way. Take it easy. Some of you look confused. Uh, y- you know, Jesus just kind of lays it right out there. And it was more than just a difference of opinion. It was a clash between fiction and reality. Now, we live in an absurd world right now. Come on, Second Service. We, we live in the midst of the, 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 the lunatics have taken control of the asylum. It's a crazy world what they've come up with here. We can't, you know, I heard two people, intelligent people with PhDs fighting on TV the other day about, you know, whether or not men can menstruate. This was settled all the way back in Genesis when God said, male and female, I created them. But it's amazing. When I was a kid... There is no discrepancy. There is no, I mean, the world has gone mad. And it's, in, it's incredible to me how many people are willing to play along with it. Well, we don't want to offend anybody. Well, I don't wake up in the morning saying, I'm going to offend a lot of people today but I still need to keep a grip on truth. These guys in Laodicea had embraced fiction, not reality. We live in an absurd world, and our culture has arrogantly concluded that each of us can determine our own reality, that each of us can live our own truth. Do you hear people saying that? Well, you're just living your own truth. Look, there's the truth, and there's not the truth, and there's, <laughs> that's it. I don't care how much you think the, the chairs out there are orange, they're not orange. You need an eye t- a contest or you need some, or you need to up your medication, they're not orange. There's truth and there's not truth. And the Laodiceans believed something about their spiritual condition that was untrue. They had lost touch with reality. H- have you ever met someone who's lost touch with reality? Maybe some of us might be ashamed to admit it, but there's times we lost touch reality. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, you've lost touch with reality. All the married couples are having a lot of fun right now. It's like, woman, you're crazy. Back at you. But our culture has lost touch with reality, and Laodicea had lost touch with reality. The Laodiceans had lost the sense of, you know, what was true and had embraced fiction concerning their own spiritual authenticity. They thought they were actually rich and wealthy and in need of nothing spiritually when in reality they were none of those things. Newsflash, Jesus is the only one who can accurately assess our spiritual condition. You know, it's no good if I think I'm great and my mother tells me I'm handsome and everybody likes me if the Lord's not pleased with my behavior. Because he's the only one who can see the big picture, who knows the truth, who gets past the facade, who knows what's real, who knows what's pretend. How many know, some people are good pretenders. You know, they can fool most of the people most of the time and even their moms once in a while. Good pretenders, but you know what? We never fool God. He looks right through the facade, the smoke, and the mirrors, and He sees reality. And that's what we got to understand this morning: is that Jesus alone is able to judge uh, the true condition of our souls and our spiritual authenticity. And His opinion is the only one that matters. You know why? Because when we die, He's the only one that's going to judge us. We're not going to show up there before the the throne of grace and be like, I have a letter of recommendation. I have a note from my mother. She thinks I'm fantastic. No, it's going to be what the Lord thinks of us. And how we were faithful with the call of God and how we served him with every day of our life. So Jesus' opinion is the only one that mattered. And Laodicea had an opinion that differed from the Lord's. And, you know, he prefaces uh, his his judgment of their spiritual situation by saying this. Listen, because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, listen, and do not know. He's saying you guys think this, but... You don't know. And that's what you got to understand this morning is that Jesus is saying by implication there that there's a deep level of deception within the Laodicean people, so much so that they become blinded to their own spiritual reality. Now, God help us if we get in this condition where we think we're great and wonderful and perfect and, you know, I mean, people get like this. And, you know, sometimes in marriage, one person's always right and the other person is always wrong. You know, there's my side, her side, and then the truth. That's reality. And all the husbands are gone. It's terrifying right now. Just look straight ahead. But understand, you know, there was a deep level of deception within the Laodicean church. They'd become blind to their own spiritual condition. You know, uh, they thought of themselves, I'm, I'm spiritually rich and I'm materially wealthy. I'm complete. I'm self-satisfied. And I can't think of a single thing that I need from the Lord. How many, you know, and all of you are sensitive spiritually when you hear that, that, ouch, right? Because we never get to the place where we need nothing from Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I'm good. I'm wonderful. I'm perfect. Help somebody else, you know. I'm good. I don't need anything from you. When the truth is, I've been walking with the Lord since I'm 14 years old. I just turned 54. I need him more more now than I ever did. I need him every day in my life. I need his forgiveness. I need his mercy. I need his grace. God help us if we get in the presence of the Lord and like, oh, I'm just—I've arrived. I'm complete. In the dictionary where there's a, you know, a picture of a Christian, it's my picture there. God help us. Well, those of you who know me are just going, nope. So there was a deep level of deception. They thought one thing of themselves. They had nothing to request of the Lord. And Jesus hits them with truth, with a dose of reality that hits them like a bucket of ice water in the face. He says, You know, you think this of yourself, but here's the authentic description of your spiritual condition you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, you might be thinking, I got up early this morning and came to church so this guy could tell me this. Yes, you did. And the ushers have locked the doors, so you're stuck here. But the truth is, this is what Jesus says, and he pulls no punches. And the reason he's saying this to them is because he loves them, and he wants them to repent and get right, because spiritually they're in trouble. Now, we're going to look at what Jesus says, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And you might be thinking, well, none of those sound like any fun. As we unpack them this morning, we're going to see that, you know, there's hope for us this morning. Uh, When we understand what Jesus is saying, we could make sure that we are not those things. So wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, Uh, this was Jesus' estimation of them. And I want to ask two questions about each one of those pronouncements. Number one, what makes a church or a person one of these things spiritually? Let's look at wretched. What makes a church or a person spiritually wretched? Now, wretched's not a word that we... How many people have said wretched this week? use wretched in a sentence. No, I mean, we don't. It's not a word that we use. But it is as ugly as a word as it sounds. Something that's wretched, I mean, it's just ugly, it's twisted, it's it's vile, you know, uh, it's just wretched paints a picture in the theater of our minds. And we need to ask ourselves, if Jesus pronounces that over a portion of the church, we need to ask ourselves, what makes a church or a person spiritually wretched? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us some clue here in Romans 7, 23 through 24. Listen to Romans 7, 23 through 24. Paul speaking, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me prisoner of the law of sin the law which is in my body, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of sin? Now, when you consider the person who just, called himself a wretched man, that he's the apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, who started the outreach to the Gentiles that has completely changed the known world that was a pillar in the early church who, who gave so much solid doctrine. This guy was a super saint. This guy was the apostle of apostles. And his view of himself, the exact opposite of Laodicea was, I'm wretched, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin, Paul says. You see, the thing that makes a person wretched is our own struggle and weakness and affinity towards sin. Paul recognized his own sinful nature his, and his inability to rid himself of it. God help us if we think we don't sin anymore. Well, I did that, but I've been serving the Lord so long. You know, I did have a sinless week. I didn't want to raise my hand because I didn't want to make it feel bad. But no, Paul was like, I'm walking with the Lord. I'm touching people's lives. I'm, I'm writing scripture. The Holy Spirit is speaking through me. Uh, there's people healed. There's people delivered. There's demoniacs set free. All this stuff is happening, but I'm still wretched because I still struggle with sin, and I really, I really can't rid myself of it. This is a good thing for us to get this morning. You know, we live in a world that refuses to admit it's wrong. Some people would rather die than admit they're wrong. I I had a person literally say to me, I was telling them about Jesus and how you could be born again and how he could set you free and forgive you. And this person put their finger in my face and said, I would rather go to hell than admit that I'm wrong now. Now, I'm still praying for them, and I haven't given up on them, and we're going to get them in Jesus' name. I I believe they're not going to wind up there. But but what a statement to say. You know, people don't want to say they were wrong, don't want to say they were religious and lost, don't want to say, you know, we had ceremony, we had ritual, we had, you know, a a form of godliness, but denied the power thereof. No, I'm going to go down with the ship. What makes... A church wretched, what makes a person wretched? I know it's an uncomfortable word to think about, but it's that struggle with our inward sin nature and our inability to rid ourselves of it. When a person is overcome by sin, that's one thing. But when they have no desire to be delivered from sin, that makes them wretched and they wind up miserable. Do you know people who are immersed in sin, people who are addicted to drugs, people who are addicted to alcohol, people who are in sexual immorality, they're not happy. That's a miserable lifestyle. I'm not sure you're buying what I'm selling this morning. Now, we might think back and say, oh, it was fun. You know, we did some things. The Bible says the pleasures of sin are but for a season. But sin will always take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you wanted to pay, rob from you your innocence, and leave you devastated in the end. The person who just doesn't want to be delivered. Remember, many of us can remember maybe when we were young, when we were growing up, where we were in sin, and we don't want to get delivered from sin. We were trying to think of new ways to sin. It's Friday night. How am I going to sin? Let's go, you know, we go to the club and you, you go carousing and you try to pick up, you know, somebody to, you know, who, who's drank enough to think you're good looking or, you know. It's a tough crowd, Lou. And that's what we used to do. No, I was born saved. Have the ushers take you out back and tune you up. We're all sinners saved by grace, but when we were in the world, we, we weren't trying to restrain ourselves from sin. Uh, Jesus prefaces his, prefaces his statement, and you do not know what he's saying, that there, there, is a, there is a deception there, and you're not even aware of it. What a sad situation it is to be religious and lost. The Pharisees were religious. Boy, they could keep the rules, but Jesus had more trouble with the religious leaders. He had more conflict with them than anyone else. Jesus catches has a woman caught in adultery. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus, you know, talk, talks to a person who's overcome, and you know, with all this stuff, and says, "I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more." But you know, these religious people, they thought they had arrived. And he had such an issue with them because they were spiritually deceived. They were religious and lost, and that is no condition for us to live in. The difference uh, between how you know Jesus viewed them and they viewed themselves was <sighs> something that had to be changed, or their souls were in jeopardy. They were wretched, and they would be miserable until they ridded themselves from that desire to not even resist sin. Now, there's a critical difference between a saved person and a lost person, and it it hinges in the way they respond to sin. I'm, I'm sad to report today that both still sin. So the saved person who's in a relationship with Jesus sins and the lost person who's not still sins. But the difference is the lost person doesn't even try and get free and the saved person doesn't want anything to do with sin. They want to get free from it, amen? And that should be, that, that's a good indicator of the condition of our soul. If we just give ourselves over to it, something's wrong. But you and I know that once we come to Christ, we don't want to do the same old things that we used to do. Come on. We don't want to be addicted like we were addicted. We don't want to be in the immorality, amen? You know, you used to go to the bar. You used to go to the club. Now you just don't feel comfortable a- anymore, amen? Some people are like... but it's a sign of the change. It's a sign that we've woken up and we, we have a reality now that we don't just give ourselves over to sin, but we resist it and we want to be overcomers. Uh, the lost person says, no, I, I'm just going to give myself over to it. It's fun. I want to do it. John 5, 4 through 5 reminds us that as Christians, we're overcomers. Yeah. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're an overcomer. You're a winner. Yeah. Amen. Now, that's just not the power of positive thinking. That's the truth about all of us who are in Christ, amen? We're overcomers. We're winners because of what Jesus did for us. Now, listen to what 1 John 5 says. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's not our good works, it's not our discipline, it's not our grit, but it's our belief in Jesus Christ that allows us to be changed when we repent and have the Holy Spirit fill us to the point where we don't give ourselves over to sin anymore, we don't become wretched, and we don't become miserable. It's good news today, man. Matthew 5, 18 and 19 warns those who believe in God not to ignore God's truth. You realize that there are people who call themselves Christians but refuse to live by God's word. You realize there are churches that have quit preaching the Bible and just preach a social gospel or a politically correct gospel. And they say, well, we're woke now and this, this is offensive. Listen, that's not woke, that's asleep. I don't know about you, but when I woke up, my life changed. I went from darkness to light, and so did you. So understand here today that uh, if, you be- if you say you're a Christian and you don't practice God's Word, there's a discrepancy, there's a deception, and there's, a- there's an eternal uh, consequence for that. And I want you to listen to Matthew 5.18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke Or letter shall pass away from the law. The Bible is in full effect. There are not parts we can throw out or ignore. No, not even a small mark of punctuation will pass from the law, from the word, until all is accomplished. This listen to verse 19. Therefore, whoever nullifies or ignores one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Wow. There's an eternal stigma that's attached to... I'm not saying you won't be saved. I'm not saying you won't go to heaven. Salvation is a free gift of grace, amen? It's not by works. It's not by performance. Do you believe me? Do you agree with me on that? Amen? So I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation, but who wants to go to heaven and be called the least? Oh, where's Rick? He's not allowed in here. He's mowing somebody's grass on their mansion, you know? So there's an eternal consequence to saying we're Christians and not living God's word. A person or a church who is not led by the Holy Spirit will default to being led by the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.3 says this, but if our gospel is hid, some people don't get it, if it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not least the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine upon them did you ever meet people smart people educated people successful people that they, that you would talk to them and within minutes you'd realize they are wrong on every issue when it comes to the scripture have you ever met people like that just wrong about everything any issue you throw up they're on the wrong side how does that happen That's because they're not thinking for themselves. They're not being led by the Spirit of God. The God of this world has influenced their mind and taken hold of them. Do you realize the reason our culture is in lockstep with things that are completely opposite of what the Bible teaches is because the God of this world has a hold of their minds. And as Christians, we can't give ourselves over to the God of this world. We can't allow the world to influence us. We have to influence the world. The world is broken. The world is hurting. The world is lost. And they need the love of God. And they're going to get it through you and I, the church. Everybody go to the supermarket today and annoy every cashier. Like Pastor Frank said, am I going to see you in heaven? Oh, they're going to hear it. But we got to shine the light and make a difference and and be led by the Holy Spirit, not the God of this world. Let's look at number two, what makes a church or a person spiritually poor? So we looked at the wretched part, and thank God we're past that because no one wants to be wretched. But Jesus also says, not only are you wretched and miserable, but you are poor spiritually. So what makes a church or a person spiritually poor? When a church has money, And material assets and numerical success, but no purity and no spiritual power. It's pure. It's poor. It's a poor church. When you can come to a church and sit through a service and and not be encouraged, not be convicted, not get saved, not get delivered, when you can come bound and leave bound, when you can come lost and leave lost, that is a poor church. That's not the purpose of church. We don't come just to mark time to do our religious duty. We come to be in the presence of God to allow the Holy Spirit to search us and change us. Come on, from the inside out. What's happening when we're in church, when we're in worship, when we're praising God? God's doing deep things in our hearts, in our lives. He's setting us free. He's changing our thought process. Come on this morning. The church that has everything going for it materially, but no spiritual power is a poor church. Right. Oh, we have comfortable seats and a really good air condition, and our preachers don't go that long. <laughs> and yet you can come and not get free. You can come lost and not get saved. You can come and sin and not be convicted. God help us. The Laodicean church Thought it had it going on, but Jesus is like, you guys are a mess. You're spiritually wretched and you're spiritually poor because you have material assets and numerical success, but you don't have any spiritual power. Listen to what... Uh, Peter said to a man who was sitting by the gate in the city begging because he was blind and crippled and he was all messed up. And and this Peter goes by him and the guy reaches out and asks him for money. Uh, And it's interesting to me when a lot of times in life, what we think when we have issues is all we got to do is throw money at it. And, you know, our government is the worst. Well, we got problems, we got this, we got that. Let's raise taxes, let's throw more money at it. And the more we throw money at things, the less the issue gets solved and the bigger the bureaucracy gets and the more of a mess it becomes. Now, I'm telling the truth this morning in church. But money is not the answer to all our problems. Money is not the answer to our, the spiritual messes of our life. Well, if I had more and I had a bigger house and I've had a nicer car and I had a spouse that liked me. Still like me? She still likes me. 31 years? God bless you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> what makes us spiritually poor is that we got all these assets but we have no spiritual power. Listen to what Peter says. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give to thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He he didn't have silver and gold. I'm afraid in the church, in the modern church, silver and gold have we plenty, but spiritual power have we none. Look what he says, I don't have an offering for you. I don't have gold for you. And really, that's not the answer to your problem. As this man stuck out his hand, Jesus grabbed it. I mean, Peter grabbed it, and Jesus touched him. And he said, I don't have an offering for you, but this is what I've got for you, spiritual power. And he lifts him up out of his crippledness, out of his (laughs) poverty, and he restores him and heals him. That's what the church needs today, to be able to touch people and lift them up to able to reach out to people who are reaching out to us and to give them what they didn't realize they so desperately needed, spiritual power. The church or the Christian without it is spiritually poor. Number three, what makes a church or a person spiritually blind? Look, Jesus continues, and you do not know, you're wretched, miserable, poor, and next on the list is blind. Spiritual blindness comes from who you listen to. You see, if we're listening to Holy Spirit, we're not going to be spiritually blind. I talked about those people who, who the God of the world has influenced and everything, they're wrong in every issue. Maybe some of us have been there. We, we thought all these things, and then we came in to, to the church and had a relationship with Jesus, and we realized we were wrong about a lot of stuff. I used to vote for this. I used to support that. I used to believe this. I used to think that. But you know what? The Word of God has transformed my mind, and I think completely different. Amen? So what makes a church or a person spiritually blind? It's who they listen to. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. If our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Least the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So look what it says here. Uh, Who's confused? Who's spiritually blind? Who's lost? Someone who is not walking in the spirit of God, but has given themselves over to the God of this world. When you and I listen to the Holy Spirit, we're able to discern spiritual truth. How many would say it's an accurate uh, testimony that when you came to Christ, uh, the things you used to think were okay, now when they come to you or someone says them, something in your spirit goes off. It's like a referee, an umpire in your soul, and, and someone says something, and the Holy Ghost blows the whistle, throws the flag, and says, no. No. And you're like, now we just, now we think differently. Now we feel differently. Now we once were blind, but now we see spiritual truth, amen? Where before we would have said, oh, yeah, it's what everybody else says. Now we're saying, no, it's, it's what God says. It's what Jesus says. It's what the word says. And the umpire of our soul, the referee in our soul, amen? Thank God for that. You know, some of us, you know, we, we, we hear something and we don't even know why, but we know it's wrong, amen? And you're like, man, how do I know that? I'm not that smart. I don't even know why I know that. But I know the scriptures to back up that I know that. Where did that come from? Because you're here and you're sitting under the word and the Holy Spirit's tucking it into your heart. And when you read the scripture and it comes alive to you, he tucks that truth in your heart so that when you hear a lie, the truth within you rejects it. I wish there were some Christians here this morning. A person or a church who's not led by the Holy Spirit will default to following the God of this world the craziness of our culture, the madness of our generation, it'll seem right to them. They won't be able to discern spiritual truth, but everything will trick them and deceive them. Yeah. Yeah. The trick in life I've found is to not be so open-minded that your brains fall out. Yes. <laughs> Do whatever you want with that. But I think our culture has had its brains fall out. And we need to get back to the truth of God's word. So the God of this world will confuse us, and if we listen to the God of this world, we won't be able to discern truth. How can you tell if you're being led by the Holy Spirit or the God of this world? Listen, if your convictions and passion and practices line up with scripture and your life is glorifying Jesus, you're being led by the Holy Spirit. Now, none of us are perfect, amen? Oh, when I'm perfect, then I'll know the Holy Spirit's leading me. No, none of us are perfect, but listen, your, your convictions, your passions, the, the, those things that, you know, in our life is glorifying Jesus. That's proof that we're being led by the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit, that's impossible. Now, if you find yourself agreeing with the opinions and philosophies of the world, even when you know they contradict God's word, that's a really good sign you're being led by the God of this world. And something needs to change because deception will take root. You will become wretched and miserable because the most unhappy person is a person who sits in church but refuses to walk with God and be led by the Spirit. Do you know the most miserable people are Christians who just won't surrender oh it's quiet this morning so spiritual blindness comes from who we listen to you and I need to reject the God of this world and be led by the Holy Spirit sadly there are those who profess to be Christians and those who profess to be the church who are led by the God of this world and their obvious departure from God's truth testifies against them Number four, and I close with this, and if you're new at church, what that means by closing is that you're gonna be here two or three more hours, so I'm just kidding. I'm gonna close with this. The fourth thing that makes a church or a person uh, that Jesus is having an issue with is spiritual nakedness. Look at that. He says, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So let's end with nudity today. (laughs) Nakedness In Scripture here is describing the state of being spiritually uncovered by sin. How many know, you know, when we sin and nobody knows about it, we feel okay. But when it's exposed and everybody knows about it, we're uncovered. Some people are just horrified at not saying anything. Aren't you thankful that a lot of things are just between us and God? And how many would agree that if everybody knew all the things we struggled with, you probably wouldn't talk to us? You know, you wouldn't let your kids. So, I mean. But it says here that, you know, spiritual nakedness is something that. Was in Laodicea, and it was that they were uncovered by their sin, and that you know Jesus had a problem with it. Now, let me just say something about nakedness. We're gonna find out why this is true by going back to Genesis, why there's you know some shame associated with nakedness now that wasn't. You know, the older you get, you know, when you're young and and you look good, and you know, you can see your toes. You know, you know, now you get out of the shower and the full length mirror is there, and you're like, that's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> you ever just look in the mirror and go, I want to see the manager? <laughs> this is ridiculous. But, you know, people say, well, there's, the, the human body is beautiful, there's no shame in it. No, I understand that, but listen, it's private. The Bible teaches that nakedness in the sexual sense is just to be shared between a husband and wife. I'm for her and she's for me and that's exclusive. We don't we don't share ourselves with anybody else. Because within marriage is where we get to express our sexuality, and it's where nakedness is okay. But, you know, in these other situations, we shouldn't be flaunting uh, that outwardly because something happened in Genesis we're going to look at that now makes it shameful, you know. And we need to be modest as Christians. You know, ladies, if you're on the beach and you're wearing a bikini that was made with less cotton than you find in the top of an aspirin (laughs) bottle... You need to cover up a little bit. Hey, guys. Look, all right, guys, take it easy. The men are clapping. Uh, I got something for you, too. Hey, Tarzan, you know, you got your shirt so tight there. Let me tell you something. Give your little brother his T-shirt back. you walking around. Christians need to be modest. We shouldn't be flaunting our, our, ourselves around. That, that just makes other people stumble. I'm for her, and she's for me, and that's exclusive. You say, well, where does this come from? Adam and Eve were in the garden, and they were fine. They were naked, and they were unashamed, the Bible says. So it all traces back to Genesis. Before the fall of man and sin entered into the equation, Adam and Eve were in the garden. They didn't have any clothes on, and they were perfectly uh, natural and unashamed, and they were just totally happy. Now, some of us who hate clothes and shopping and all that stuff say, let's get back to the garden. I know some ladies would be disappointed about not even having shoes. My wife, if she was Eve, would have had shoes. One for each phase of the garden. But they were in the garden, they were naked, and they were unashamed. Yet sin entered the equation, and the fall of man occurred in Genesis 3, 6 through 7. And then it shows that nakedness became a source of shame. It was an uncovering, and that, you know, it caused them to cover up. What did Adam and Eve do the minute they ate the forbidden fruit? Is that they covered themselves up with leaves, and they hid from God. Sin has made there have a shame to be attached with our nakedness because now it's linked to privacy and, and sexuality and vulnerability. So like it or not, we're to be modest, we're to cover up, and we're not to uncover our nakedness except with our spouse. So when the Bible speaks of uncovering nakedness, it's usually referring to a type of sexual immorality. Church, there should not be sexual immorality within our ranks. The New Testament teaches this. You know, when the church is full of divorce and adultery and fornication and our young people are sleeping together and people are moving in together before they're married, something's wrong. And the shame of that gets the attention of God. It's just amazing to me the way, and you would think, well, these Laodiceans, they're really, no, we do the same thing. We justify it. We ignore it. We pretend it's not there. And it's shameful. And it uncovers us spiritually. And Jesus has a better way for us than that. So Jesus' reality to those who were spiritually deceived in Laodicea is that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, and you need to repent because spiritually you're a hot mess. And I love you too much to leave you this way. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I just thank you today for the word of God and how it sobers us up and refocuses us. Father, none of us are perfect here, especially and including me. So all of us have sin to deal with. But Lord, we want to be those who resist sin, those who are overcomers, those who don't give themselves over to sin those who partner with the truth of what the word says and don't bow the knee to the culture. God, help us to have spiritual sight by being led by the spirit. Help us to reject what the God of this world demands we bow the knee to. God, help us not to uncover ourselves spiritually, but embrace morality and modesty and be an example of what it means to be Christlike in a generation that has lost its way. Let's just take a moment in God's presence today to examine ourselves, to see where we may need to repent if we've departed from the truth and exchanged it for a lie, if we've departed from reality and embraced uh, an alternate reality. God, we want to repent and be made right in your sight again. Let's just take a moment in his presence. Father, in the stillness, speak to us. Holy Spirit, put the finger on those areas that we've allowed to get out of whack that need to be brought back into line. Help us if we've departed from reality and embraced deception and we don't realize there's a consequence. Give give us the gift of repentance, Lord, that we would turn around and change, have a change of heart and a change of mind. The world's hurting and it's broken and it's confused and we're to bring the gospel to them and to give them light in the darkness. Help us to be who you've called us to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him praise this morning.